welcome to a new episode of Outside the Panels with your host, Johnny the Machine Hughes. Welcome everyone to another episode of Outside the Panels. Following our great Kickstarter interview last week with Jim Stalin, we're back with a new Kickstarter, a new project. This one's even more fantastic, if you would have it. I'm going to speak to uh, the CEO of Brink Literacy Project, Danny Headland. Danny, nice to meet you. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you so much for having me today. You are more than welcome. You can see the disparity. I've got like windows shut because it's like nighttime <laughs> and you're wearing shades on your head. So, yes, we are in different parts of the world. <laughs> I mean, I just wore these to make you feel bad about your time zone, Johnny. All right, cool. I feel better about my time zone already. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. Try and work out EST to MST to, my, it gives me PMT, I tell you. <laughs> I feel you. I have editors on five different continents. And although I have a math degree, I still don't know how to convert it for a single Zoom meeting. No, <clears throat> I, EST is my standard. That's where I go. I know more about time zones than Doctor Who. <laughs> That's good. Great geek credentials. Yeah, yeah. What, what can I say? All right, excellent. So we're here to talk about um, a special project from the Brink Literacy Project. You're the CEO. Um, before we have a look at the video, Danny, tell us about the Brink Literacy Project. What's that all about? Yeah, of course. So we are a storytelling nonprofit, which seems a little weird. Like, how is that a nonprofit? Mm -hmm. But the entire thing that we do is we use storytelling to change the lives of people living on the brink. And that's sort of twofold. One of them is this idea that stories have the power to change the world. So we need to go out and make sure we're elevating emerging, diverse and marginalized voices. So a big thing we do is just help comic creators and new sci-fi writers and people from all around the world, from women in Afghanistan to people in max security prisons, elevate their unique stories. And then the whole other side of that is all education. So we need to take those beautiful stories and get them into the hands of people that will matter. So we teach in prisons, we teach in high schools, homeless shelters, colleges, all over the place. So those stories can really create impact where it's needed. Cool. So when you say on the brink, um, that could be um, a lifestyle brink or a very personal brink, sort of potentially um, a, a crisis moment for someone who kind of just needs some sort of, I suppose, inspiration to keep going. Yeah, exactly. So it's everything from socioeconomic to personal to every now and then I like to extend it to geography. Like, oh, mm. do you want to write, but you don't live in New York City? What if you lived in Oklahoma or Scotland? We mm. can help you on that front as well. <laughs> all I know about New York City is water towers. So that's all I know. <laughs> that's thank right. You. Th thank you, Steve Ditko and Spider-Man for that one. Thanks. <laughs> all right. So we're here to talk about a special, a special project you're doing, the literary tarot um we've got a little video we're going to take this from your kickstarter we're going to run the kickstarter ad in a little uh, in a moment and then the banner will show with the address on so people with your pens and your phones and your pencils <laughs> and your pads get right okay so here's the advert for the project um he says looking for it <laughs> i'm a professional i know what i'm doing <laughs> and
Wow. I'm impressed. Um, Dorian Gray. I love Dorian Gray. I'm glad to see he's in there. Oh, me too. I'm so glad Roxanne Gray Gay grabbed that. I should also say, watching that video, it's just so oddly emotional for me because I made it at 3 a.m. right before the campaign launched. Uh -huh. So for like three months, Kickstarter was like, Danny, I don't think you need a video. Like, just keep making cards. And then two days beforehand, they're like, you know what? We thought about it. It's kind of a complicated concept. You know how to make videos, right? And I was like, well... <laughs> All right, then. So I'm just like Googling in the middle of the night, like, how do I move a graphic on Adobe? So it was um, it was it was a lot of no sleep. And oh, God, I hope this doesn't suck. Well, I can say watching that, that's the second time I've gone through this. This is an absolute top notch video. Well done to all involved. Who's your voiceover person? Uh, her name is B. I should know her last name, but I'm a really terrible boss, and I just call her B. So I will definitely get it for you for the comments. And she's <laughs> lovely. We just met her through our ridiculous video game geek circle, and she was just like, "I do voiceover. Do you want me?" And I was like, "Of course we do. Come on over." <laughs> so, oh, so so what sort of games? Is it video games you play? Or is it card games or? Well, I, sh I should precurse, I have no hand-eye coordination, so like I can get more Mario to not fall in that first hole, but I'm a huge D&D &D player, so it went through the super geeky game cycle. Excellent, cool, thanks. So there's loads of people involved in this project. There's absolutely uh, loads. Just, I mean, we're gonna, we're gonna drop some names. So you've got people like Chelsea Kane, um, if people don't recognize Chelsea Kane, Chelsea Kane's a, a crime writer. Uh, she had a fantastic book, Mockingbird, from Marvel Comics a couple of years back. Marvel, you shouldn't have canceled the damn book. <laughs> I, I love Chelsea Kane's Mockingbird. Uh, you've got G. Willow Wilson, who revolutionized. Um, you know what? Is that too strong to say? Did she revolutionize marginalized voices with Miss Marvel? I don't think it's that strong to say that, actually. I think she. I don't either. Willow no, is powerful. We should give her all the credit. Definitely. I, I think this is not to disparage anybody that came before um, Willow Wilson, but, you know, credit where credit's due. She is a, a game changer. From, um, you know what? I'll go, I'll be, I'm going to give a big, big shout out. I watched a, a bit of a documentary on Disney Plus um, about creators, and she was, Willow was on it, and she was explaining how she got into Miss Marvel. And I absolutely fell in love with the idea and how she went through and everything. So I absolutely, it was like an eye opener moment for me. So that was really cool. Um, you've got Kelly Sue DeCarmack. Uh, De See, I told you I missed it. DeConnick, you were so close. Oh, man. I'm not, I'm not playing this game. Either. All right. So you'll recognize <laughs> her from Captain Marvel and, of course, Bitch Planet, which are probably the two best extremes of comic books you can probably get <laughs> in the world. You've got fellow Brick, Kieran Gillian, and of course, Brian Bendis. Jonathan Hickman, who's wowing everyone with X stuff. You've got the Marks. That's Mark Miller and Mark Wade. Man, that's a, I mean, it's like a murder's row. It is like, <laughs> you know. I feel sorry for the guy that didn't have a comic book that came on this uh, project. <laughs> yeah, actually, we started with primarily fantasy writers. And uh, then it just kind of snowballed. We're all really big comic geeks. So the moment Kelly Sue was like, hey, Danny, I think some of my friends would be into this. And I was like, hey, Kelly Sue, that's the best idea I've ever heard. Go. <laughs> so is that, so how did you, all right, so I mean, that's, a, that's I mean, I know you, there's networking and I know there's Zoom meetings and LinkedIn and all that, but how do you get so many people? That's like, it is an absolute 
wealth. I mean, not just the comic book industry, as you said, the fantasy industry. How do you get so many people so involved? Well, luckily, we've been around for a long time. I started Brink when I was 19 years old. So, so just to last... myself, it's 15 years old now. So we've had 15 years to gather as many people <laughs> into our bosom as possible. Um, so honestly, the project started so insanely. Um, our nonprofit used to have galas. And that's like how we fundraised everything for our programs. We got a bunch of rich people together. We got them drunk. We convinced them they cared about other people. And then we took their money. But then COVID happened. And obviously, we couldn't get a bunch of people into a large ballroom. So instead, we were like, oh, like we're going to have to pivot or die because all of the foundational funding for education and arts obviously went to medical stuff. So on an offhand idea, my partner was like, hey, you should do a literary tarot. Like you love art and storytelling. And I didn't know anything about it. So when we started really getting our team together, I went to the celebrities that I knew loved us, that did a bunch of favors for us, that I've done a bunch of panels with. And I really thought we would just get them. But people like Lev Grossman and Kelly Sue and Benjamin Percy were just like, actually, this is a great idea. What if I just opened up the celebrity phone tree? And they did that. And then before I knew it, there were 78 of the largest names, everyone on my <laughs> bookshelf being like, Danny, let's jump on a Zoom call. Like, I want to talk about Don Quixote. I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> I love that. I love uh, I love Ben Percy's stuff. Um, I love his Green Arrow stuff. Um, so who, who, choose, who chose what? So did... The authors come up and say, right, I want to do, as you say, I want to do Don Quixote, I want to do Dorian Gray. Or did you kind of sort of have to mediate many meetings to get people to agree to take, you know, Jane Eyre? No, I don't want to do Charles Dickens. Do something else. No, I don't want to do Oliver. No, sir, I don't want any more. Well, luckily... We actually, we didn't have very much kind of conflict on this front. We started... We started with the book originally. Almost all of the big authors we signed on immediately didn't know anything about tarot. So what I did was just say, okay, like I know Lev Grossman, who is the author of The Magicians and is one of my favorite human beings. I know he's into King Arthur, like aggressively. He's writing a book about it. He's been researching it for a decade. So I just called up Lev and I was like, Lev, I know you don't understand tarot, but I think we should pair King Arthur. And he was like, cool, here's what I really like about King Arthur. And that was really surprising because I thought it was going to be about like, you know, the masculine patriarchy of King Arthur. But instead, Lev was like, I love that Camelot is a dream that has to die. I want a depressing card. I want something about the end of an era. So then I went to my tarot team and I was like, guys, we need a depressing card about this. And so they proposed three possible cards and Lev chose the one he wanted most. And that tends to be how most things happen. Like Mark Millar was like, I need Sherlock. I need him right now. And we're like, okay, cool. Let's navigate that. But there were a couple of people that were really into tarot that did it backwards. So Margaret Atwood, Willow Wilson, Kelly Sudaconic were like, hey, this is a card I love in the tarot world. Can, can you help me pair it backwards? Or like Willow, mm -hmm. who was just like, I read your brief and I immediately know everything I need to give you. And I'm going to answer every single question in a single email. And I was like, oh, well, that took three minutes and you're all done. So that was a delight. So it was kind of a mix of those. We had we had a weird, weird fight over the page of cups where uh, a name that I haven't released yet, but is very large, was fighting with another name I can't release yet, but is very large about a Peter Pan 
or a great expectations pairing. And I literally just had to like take their email fight and then integrate it into a single conversation so they could duke it out. For example, there's a name I can't talk about yet because it'll get revealed versus another name I can't talk about, but they're both huge and they're both on my shelves back there. And they both really wanted the, I know, just like zoom in. So they both wanted the Page of Cups, um, which is like a joyful kind of happy finding love card. And uh -huh. it was Peter Pan versus Great Expectations. And the fight was so fervent that I had to copy and paste their email responses into a common thread to create an argument to see who won. Right, who won then? Was it no name number one or no name number two? No name number one in a shocking comeback in the last paragraph. Oh, oh man, this sounds like a wrestling match. You know? <laughs> Pulled out a short sharpshooter or something. And because they're authors I love and I grew up with, it was like watching my parents fight. Mm. I was like, no, mommy, daddy, don't divorce. I'm sure we can find some reason that Peter Pan or Pip could be a different card. Let's say so. Someone, uh, right as you grew up with, they're on the back wall there. Hmm. Hmm. We'll see if we can get that out there. <laughs> I mean, I think there should just be like some conspiracy theories. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah should, should we, let's, let's drop some names. Let's say, um, who can I say? Chris Claremont? Listen, I can't tell you anything. Okay, we both <laughs> right and Sorry, one is a man and one is a woman. Oh, well, you know, that narrows it down to at least what? You know, yeah. You're 50 percent of the population. Cheers. Thanks for that. No. Hashtag <laughs> no help. All right, okay. All right. Okay. You said that you're a comic book geek. Let's talk comics for a little bit. What are you reading at the moment, Danny? What's the book of choice for yourself? Okay, well, I just finally um I had the last issue of East of West and okay. I've been holding okay. on to it so I could binge read the entire series together. And oh my goodness, it's so magical. I can't even get past it. The art, the storytelling, the politics. I just, oh, I love it. I reread Monstrous um, constantly Monstrous because Marjorie Lewis just also, she's one of my favorite people we've worked with on this project. She um, paired Beowulf, particularly Grendel's mother with the uh, Queen of Swords. And she just, every email was this insightful delight. And I just... I can't get past it. Sometimes celebrities, you meet them and they let you down. And then there's yeah. Marjorie Lou, and it just fills my heart with joy. Do you think that the comic industry is in a pretty good place now? Because, I mean, if you if you go back a, a fair few years, well, not even a fair few years, uh, you had Marvel, DC, then Image exploded. That drew a lot of people into the indie book world. You've got the, the decline of Vertigo at DC. So kind of all those really... Um, off-the-wall creative stories that kind of make you think have now sort of seeped their way into the indie market. Um, DC's getting a little bit back with the Black Label if they move away from Batman for once, which DC are never going to do with a heartbeat. <laughs> um, but do you think now is a bit of a renaissance for indie books and the fact that they can be so so creative? I mean, you've got a whole host of different uh, publishers out there, like Ahoy, you've got uh, Scout Comics are doing great stuff, Vault are doing fantastic stuff. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, like pretty much everyone, I grew up on DC and Marvel. And so when Vertigo came in, it was the first time that I really felt like innovative storytelling was mm. with brand new ideas and they were pushing boundaries. I loved that there was cursing, as you will hear from this, that's a big fan of that. Um, so it was really exciting to see the smaller indie houses really pioneer new ideas. Because as anyone knows who writes comics, 
you can be the best comic writer in the world, but if you take on 50 years of canon, like you really kind of have your hands tied. So, yeah. I mean, I personally couldn't be happier to be a comic geek right now, not only as a reader, but also as a publisher. I'm always excited by the new comics that we get to publish, but as a teacher, yeah. like sure, I take the killing joke into every prison I teach in. Cause it's great to be like, you know, everyone is one bad day away from, for example, stabbing their children to death. Let's talk about that. Yeah, but also, yeah. The indie comics really excite people and they're new stories. So they don't come in with like, oh, I know everything there is to know about the Joker. Like no one's gonna come into East and West and be like, I know everything there is to know about yeah. Archibald, someone I don't know anything about. <laughs> you make a very fair point. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised you bring the killing joke up. It's such a, such a, divisive book some people love it some people hate it some people hate it because of the um portrayal of barbara gordon in the book mm -hmm. you know i mean at the time and I, I had this conversation at work recently where i what we watch oh the friends reunion you know the friends the tv show and <laughs> does anyone show, not know friends the tv show uh, you'd, you'd be surprised and sometimes i watch i rewatch episodes now and some of the stuff they get away with back then you couldn't oh, yeah. get away, you couldn't get away with now and sometimes i feel that that's a little bit like the killing joke in that you know dc had, had no plans for barbara gordon oracle was wasn't even a, a spark in john ostranders and, and his wife's brain yet i think it's barbara castle so you the, the, she wasn't even there she was just like a throwaway character and now we've you've got a whole piece of fandom who kind of vilify the book for, for the portrayal of barbara but yeah. man this was this was back in the 80s you know, we had Chucky for Christ's sakes, right? <laughs> I actually, I, it's a, I always teach the Joker in prisons, always. Men's prisons, women's prisons, I think it's super essential. But in the U.S., it will take me like six months of committees to get the warden to be like, I see your arguments for this incredibly violent, very messed up book. And I took it to Scotland and Scotland's like, oh yeah, nah, they've seen yeah. this stuff since they were 11. Bring that thing in. Yeah. So, I'm you know. I remember, I remember reading it the first time, The Killing Joke, and I was absolutely. It's it's not a, it's still disturbing, mm -hmm. and I think that shows you how good it is. I don't read it a lot. I probably read it once every, once every eighteen months or something like that. Um, but it's still disturbing, and that tells you how good the writing is. So, yeah, yeah. Um, right back to the literary tarot. Um, do you have a favourite? Uh, do you have a favorite literary classic book? There you go. I just, Johnny, it's like you're asking me to decide like which one of the puppies that I should murder over there. It's just cruel to ask. I don't, um, I don't care. I don't <laughs> well, <laughs> I actually. Even from me, I'm dropping big questions like that. That's the way it works. Sorry about that. Well, I'm glad that my sunglasses are taunting you so I can take something <laughs> back at you. <laughs> So I actually paired the very first card in the deck, um, not because I'm a super great celebrity, but because I needed something to guinea pig with the art team because it was yeah. just agonizing for us to figure out the color scheme and the art style and everything. So I chose Alice in Wonderland. And it's not my favorite classic, but I essentially was like, I like it a great deal. I really liked the pairing. I paired it with the moon. And for all the tarot readers out there, the moon card is about like, illusions and going on adventures where you could be terribly confused, which seems pretty fitting for what Alice mm. does. 
Yeah. Um, so I thought it would be really recognizable, but man, I agonized over it. Like I love Don Quixote, Don Quixote so much. Like I wrote about it at uni. Crime and Punishment, which I absolutely love. Um, it's just so damn depressing. I just thought the art would not be, <laughs> like it's the only card I had to take to like mark a letter and be like, I swear to God, this is a cool project. I couldn't be like, and here's a man being so angsty against the wall, <laughs> wondering about his morality. So I really agonized over it. But at the end I was like, what's a mix of something I like and something that's super marketable? Okay. Cool. Excellent. All right then. So the flip of this then, because this is like a it's like a pairing, isn't it? You're shaking your head, you know what's coming next. I think you want to ask me something like really pleasant, like yeah. Danny, what's my favorite cup of tea? And I'll be like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, yeah. English breakfast. All right, okay. I'll I'll be I'll be a nice host. I'll start with a nice easy question. So um what's your favorite tarot card then? <laughs> sure. Okay. I should I should warn you in a way that hopefully doesn't create like a lack of credibility for a woman who spent the last year making a tarot deck. Before this wild idea happened, I didn't know anything about tarot. I'll go okay. as far to say that I wildly disliked it. Like oh. I come from a science background. I was like, listen, if I can't see it, it's not real. And then my partner apparently just had a deck, did me a first reading, which of course devolved into a terrible couple fight. Like never let someone who really knows you give you a tarot reading. And I started to slowly kind of come around to the idea, mostly because tarot is almost identical to what it's like to read. Mm. Like I read Crime and Punishment and really unfortunately, because I was a total jackass at uni, I really identified with Raskolnikov. Like he's guilty and he's existentially just racked with every single issue that a human could have. And I was like, you know what? I get that. And can mm -hmm. I learn from him? And that's what stories do. They allow us to identify with people and learn from their mistakes or really wildly pull away from people and make worse mistakes. And that's the whole beautiful thing about tarot is it just pretty much presents an option. And it says, hey, do you feel something about this? Can you critically evaluate your life through this lens? Is there a way in which you're being led into an illusionary system of despair? And it really just sparks critical thinking. And if I'm a woman who runs a literacy nonprofit and I can't see the magic of something that sparks critical thinking, I'm an asshat. So I've, <laughs> I've been converted. You know, it's funny you should say that. And I think, I think you've absolutely... You don't have to worry about validity. You've absolutely nailed it on the head for me. Um, from my from my very limited perspective perspective of tarot, it's very much of this is the card. Uh, you, you get your you deck dealt to you or whatnot, and there's the interpretation of what you see. Yeah. R rather than someone coming out and saying, right, definitively, this is this, this is that, this is this. It's kind of it's more of a it's allowing you to interest introspection of parts of your life that you maybe don't always think about because you're too busy doing the day-to-day -day stuff. Yeah, I definitely so, agree. There's so, also, I, I love D&D &D for the reason that, you, of course, you have like a certain amount of points that you need to put into your character sheet and no one can max out all their stats. And so you have to make this kind of give and take. So there's always going to be interesting flaws. And I think tarot does a really interesting job of that because like in an upright reading of most cards, there's Here's the positive aspects of this thing you're about to do or this personality trait you have. And that's like on the reverse, here's how that's going to get you into so much trouble. And <laughs> I really like that duality. So one of my favorite pairings in the card is uh, 
Kaiming Chang did a pairing of Journey to the West with the Magician card. And I love the Magician card. It's probably the one I identify with the most. It's all about like using intellect and stubbornness to create something really magical instead of just like praying and then something is bestowed on you. So mm. the positive impacts are just like innovative and really imaginative and really hardworking. But the opposite effect of that card is like so ridiculously egotistical that you ruin everything around you. <laughs> and I think it really helps you critically evaluate. And for that pairing, like the Monkey King is this amazing magical figure and he's taking tufts of his hair and blowing it into all these things. Mm -hmm. But he's also so conceited that he like angers the rest of the gods. And I think that's a good lesson. Like you draw it in the morning and you're like, okay, cool. Like I'm kicking ass at work, but am I alienating all my friends and family? Yes, I am by doing that. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've kind of been in that situation where, um, over COVID, we've uh, we, we have a dog. We, we we have a new addition to our our brood, uh, Bailey, a lab a lab German Shepherd cross. And for the first whilst I was working from home, it was great because my wife would work upstairs in our uh, office, which is where I'm at now, uh, and I'd be working downstairs doing whatever, looking after the pup at the same time. Now that I've been pulled back into work proper, I think I'm doing really well because I'm back at work. But there's now resentment building at home because now my wife's having to look after the dog. So yeah. I feel your pain on that one. I get See, it. if you would have drawn that card in the morning, you would have been like, ooh, road signs, gotta be better. <laughs> road, <laughs> yeah, don't get a dog, keep the cat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, okay, we're gonna take a quick break. Um, for our break, you have one of our fantastic um, adverts for our other shows uh, that you can get on the UCPN. Let me see which one. Should we go with? I know everybody loves, everyone loves this one. Where is it? Uh, there it is. All right. So, this is as we're talking cards, this is our show for um, the Jank Think Tank, all about Magic the Gathering. Enjoy. <laughs> There you go, Think Tank for all you Magic the Gathering fans uh, with Josh and Matthew slinging cards like there's nobody's business. Uh, I want a little bit of a secret. Josh was really annoyed recently when him and his wife opened up a pack and she got two shinies and he didn't. I have no idea what I'm talking about because I don't know. <laughs> but hey, he was really annoyed at it. So there you go. All right, so this is a Kickstarter um, for the Literary Tarot. Um, Talk to me a little bit about uh, the pledges and the extended target. Right. Yep. Um, so essentially we were like, okay, we're making this really great tarot deck. How can we make it so swanky that like no one can resist it? Luckily, um, one of the things that Brink does is we run like a 
really amazing literary magazine. It's fully illustrated. It has an amazing original comic in every issue that I edit and I love. So we already had this great printer that just allowed me to do anything. So we like swanked out both sides of the cards, gold foil on both. I'm thinking holographic gold foil on the back, but I'm waiting for samples. And then it comes with a mini guidebook. So you get all of these sort of like the we write up about what the card means, but it's written in the language of the book by the author. So Margaret Atwoods is written in the fancy like 19th century voice of Jane Eyre. And it will tell you what that card is about through that perspective. And then all of that fits in this swanky as hell book box, which there is now a nice gif of that I spent hours making by duct taping my phone with medical tape to the back of a stack of books. And that's what that looks like. Um, so they all fit together. <laughs> Guys, when you don't have any money because you run a nonprofit, you use what you have and you always have medical tape. Well, that, that, that just starts a whole different conversation. <laughs> well, before we get into my clumsy athletic ways. Um, so that's like a base level package. You get that with everyone. And then there's like a swankier next one where not only do you get this, but you get an issue of friction, particularly about Arcana. And it is this incredible collection. Holly Black opens it with this amazing quiz about like how to tell whether or not your wife is a changeling. It is, it's so funny that when I read the pitch, I spit tea all over my computer screen and the nice other person next to me at the coffee shop because Holly Black is just, just so good. Um, Rebecca Roanhorse wrote a comic about the origin of the world in it. And it is really beautiful. Two sisters fighting over the cauldron of creation. There's debut voices. It's all really incredibly lovely. And so for like 20 extra bucks, you get this beautiful thing and probably the best book we've ever put out. So you probably need that. And then there's other swanky stuff we can't talk about, but it will be very big and very shiny. There will probably be some nice things for you to put on your backpack because apparently hipsters like pins. Um, and then we also what? have some like, yeah, I know they put pins on everything. It makes me feel so old. Well, hey, I can't talk. I, I without my my day job, I'm an adult tutor, so I have I have a laptop, I have a flip chart stand, and they know it's mine because I've got Batman stickers on it. That way, no one nicks it. I've got a Batman sticker slap bang in the middle. Uh, I, it's like, who's is this laptop? Oh, right. Yeah, it's Johnny's. I know who that is. So. Listen, Johnny, if you need to support like a really high tier at this Kickstarter so you could have a pin for your backpack so people don't judge you, like, I'm there for you. I don't want you to make friends. What makes you think I've got a backpack? I'm a laptop bag kind of guy. <laughs> Listen, I only upgraded to a backpack last year because I used to. I used to be really superficial, but now I'm just super humble. And in my superficial days, I was like, that backpack contradicts my very nice business suit. But now I'm in my <laughs> mid-30s and everything hurts. And I was like, listen, I'm just going to look stupid so my back doesn't hurt. So so wait a second. You're saying you're superficial because you have a backpack. Not oh, no, no. Before the backpack, I wanted to have a very fancy, like, Oh, I've just come off a Law and Order episode, and I will tell you about my new case. <laughs> everywhere but, you went, everywhere you went, you had the dum dum. <laughs> just like that. But now people are like, "Hey, like, are you studying? Can I sit with you at this coffee shop?" And I was like, "Man, this never happened when I had my bitchy power bag." And what and what fancy tea are you drinking at this coffee shop? Then you asked about it. 
I only drink English breakfast with milk because I w- when I went to uni in England, if I drank anything else, people would slap my hands away. So it's like drink a Guinness or drink boring tea. Otherwise you will have no friends. So that's all I do. Which, which uni did you go to over here then? I went to Oxford, but I feel like I can't say it without sounding like a jackass. So I swear to God, yeah. guys, I'm only kind of a jackass. So, so what you need to do is grab your backpack while you say that and everything will be cool. I know the backpack <laughs> invalidates anything. Like I could be a stockbroker, but if I had a back or a hedge fund manager, people would be like, she's not a bad person with that ugly backpack. Yeah, you got a backpack with a pin in it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're a good person, people would know. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so Kickstarter is running at the moment, I believe. Hopefully, so I'm correct. Let me just get to your Kickstarter page and I'll double check some stuff um right okay so <clears throat> i have to do this um i have to do this because i mean the uk comes in uk prices would so, you like me to convert it for you because i look uh, at this page every 35 seconds yeah yeah so you had an eighty thousand dollar goal oh good math well the, the, the website did it for me thank you um so far you have uh had in pledges you're a little, you're a little bit over, I think. Um, it's showing as two hundred eighty-four thousand one hundred six dollars and seventy-seven cents. Who, who, who pledged the seventy-seven cents, cheapskates? Man, I don't even <laughs> see the cents, so I'm really impressed that you in you and the other countries see so much more than me. Okay, I see. And on top of that, so you are way above where you need to be. On top of that. You've got 25 days to go at the time of recording. It's like... It's, it's very surreal. How how bonkers is that? What, what sort of feelings does that give you then when you put you, you put all, you know, you t- see how stressed you are putting the video together and you're doing the, the magical thing with uh, medical tape. I, sw- I swear that's not like a kink thing. You know, <laughs> got, check, check, rewind and check. Yeah, it's a camera thing. Um, and... It, the idea, as you say, it's quite a complex idea to get to get your head around. How gratifying is it to see so much interest in this project? Honestly, it's it's so surreal that I'm not quite past feeling numb. I mean, the sleep deprivation probably contributes to that. But before this, the most successful campaign we'd ever run made thirty thousand dollars, and we were ecstatic. Um, also, like we work in independent publishing, so. Friction is one of the fastest growing literary journals in the world. Cool stat, but that's only like, you know, a few thousand issues because no one buys books or really seems to, I'm not gonna curse, give that much interest in those books. See, the effort just would have made that better. Just so much just, better. Well, well, go for it then, go for it. Cool, I'll, no one oh. gives a fuck. About so <laughs> usually that's the kind of perspective we come from. So when we started getting this together, the break-even point for us was eighty thousand dollars. Mm. Like I'm really obviously trying to not be a bad boss and pay my incredible artists something close to what they're worth. But wow. eighty thousand paid them like eighty to a hundred dollars a card, which is what making like four dollars an hour. That's abysmal. So yeah. I really was like, okay, this is us using our little frugal nonprofit brains with all the printing. We will break even at this point. And if the worst thing that happens is like we elevate the mission a bit, cool. But like, wouldn't it be great if we had enough money to say run a prison course? So the fact that it caught on this quickly is amazing. Like this is more than we make in an annual gala. 
but we're only like three days in. So I keep looking at my computer screen being like, was that a dream? Well, I click on it. We've only made like $17 and then I'll weep it like incoherently in the coffee shop. <laughs> Pledge just start going down instead of up. Mm -hmm. um, for the physicals, for the physical products, are you shipping worldwide? Is it a yeah, US we product? definitely are. One of the things we have another show we talk about indie books, uh, Flipside Focus. Check it out, it's me and Josh. And or I should say, Josh and I to use my proper English. Um, <laughs> what do I know, right? Um, and we always do a Kickstarter segment because we think Kickstarters are probably you know, it's the next generation of comic book creators, yeah. or sometimes it's comic book creators wanting complete control of the product mm -hmm. to, to move forward. Um, so one of the things we always advise people who are checking out Kickstarters is check the shipping because you know what it's okay pledging whatever you want to pledge because it's a good thing to do but if they don't ship to your neck of the woods you're going to be stuck with a pdf yeah so, absolutely and so right no. now it's been interesting because of course we didn't plan to be this popular again i'm still numb inside <laughs> because of my Raskolnikov tendencies, where if I pulled that card today, I would have known that I was going to have to be jaded. But um, <laughs> we run our shipping division out of our warehouses in the US and UK. And by warehouses, I mean my garage, and then my COO's garage in the UK. <laughs> and then we just brought on our very lovely um, publishing assistant, Emily, who lives in New Zealand. And then we bribed her to create a third fulfillment um center out of her closet so that was like a good plan for kickstarter but now that we're you know three days in and there's five thousand units i feel like we're definitely gonna have to put on our adult pants and then like you know run through a lot of bids for fulfillment so we budgeted for like how expensive could it possibly be with these three fulfillment centers so hopefully what I think are already good prices will significantly go down because we'll get, you know, adults to help us. So we mm. don't spend the rest of our lives at the post office. <laughs> Can you imagine another eBay session? No, not eBay. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> you know, do you know the, the way you explained to me, Danny, it sounds like there's a, there's a story in there already. You know, you need a cartoonist and that's it. How to create a Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> You're there. You know, I'm just imagining two garages, a closet, a shed load of uh, medical tape, you know, what more do you need? Yeah. Honestly, Johnny, it's unethical. Like I just, I go to the grocery store and I buy the cheapest beer I can. So right before shipping, I'm like, okay, like we have about 11 volunteers that work in Denver, all really lovely editors and teachers. And I'm like, guys, I will get you as much free beer as you would like if you all come over to my house and create a terrible assembly line packaging all of our issues of friction. And that's fine for a couple thousand, but if this does as well as like people tell me, which I don't want to listen to because I'm scared and jaded, that's just impossible. It could just be like, cool, I would run like a, a terrible assembly line from 1920s China just to get it out. I don't, I don't want to do that. There's not enough beer. <laughs> you mentioned friction a couple of times. Talk to us about friction. How is that different to the um, regular sort of uh, stuff that you do at Brink? Oh man, friction's my favorite thing. Like it's the like most irresponsible thing we do, but oh my god, I love it so much. Uh, so it before we started friction, we ran like a super normal literary journal, and the reason for that is when we started, when I was like a doeg asshat nineteen year old. I was like, okay, we need to teach classes, but we also need to find a way to like help new writers break into the industry. 
Anyone who writes out there, like, you know, like, it's just, if your grandmother isn't an agent or like runs Penguin, you're going to be real screwed. So we were like, all right, let's create incubators. I got all these agents and editors to come in and mentor this really great community. But it got to a point where we had people writing incredibly good manuscripts, but they didn't Mm -hmm. have that little third paragraph on their query letter that said, hey, someone else has published me and taken a chance on me. Don't throw away my query letter. (laughs) <laughs> and they were just, especially if you write genre or you write something really weird or you write mm-hmm. from a, a unique perspective, like you're going to have a hard time getting published. So we were like, you know what? Like we can just work extra jobs on the side to like pump money into this. Let's start a publishing division. So we used to run something really sort of normal called the Tether by Letters Quarterly. That's a long story about bad naming. Teenagers shouldn't name stuff. And we published like really normal sort of literature and creative nonfiction and poetry. But Johnny, we started getting these weird submissions, comic submissions, sci-fi, this one story I will never forget where a boy goes out to the park to try to get mushrooms to convince his girlfriend to calm the hell down. And they end up transporting him to the Cretaceous period. And that sounds insane, but the story was so good, I cried at the end. But I couldn't publish it because my board wasn't going to be like, oh, Danny, like that's a totally normal thing to publish. So (laughs) we just got drunk in 2014 and we were like, guys, publishing is dying. We're all working like waitressing jobs on the side to keep this alive. If it's going to die anyway, let's do it right. And so we started Friction and it's called Friction because we just wanted to piss people off. We were going to put the story first. We were going to do comics. We were going to do sci-fi. There's even scandalous things in it like sex. No. Yeah, no, I know. Sometimes sex between people that aren't even both straight. It's crazy. No. Wait a second. That's not as as risky as you think. Have you read Sunstone by Stephen Seach? I mean, listen, if the killing joke is our top level, we're like, we can get way more fucked up. (laughs) Or maybe it's kind of like it goes the killing joke gutter level us looking up at gutter level <laughs> yeah i mean i think as long as we're never the orgy scene from it like as long as they don't go full crazy stephen king i think we're fine yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm all right with that that sounds like a plan so cool. we started this thing we it's really it's a beautiful thing i love it it's everything is fully illustrated we wanted to kind of go back to that time when we first started reading comics and books when we were young and they felt like magical portals instead of like, oh, wow, that's pretty much just like a bunch of printer paper bound together with despair and sadness. Uh, we loved it and we didn't think it was going to work. And then people just loved it as well. And Barnes and Noble picked us up and celebrities started pouring in good work. Like I remember we got Jeff Vandermeer a couple years ago and I was just like, what is happening? And yeah, it's really beautiful and really special. And it is the primary teaching tool in every program that we run. So it's like particularly curated to increase critical thinking. So I take it into prisons, I take it into high schools, I take it into like stuck up places like Oxford. And it's also just like read by women in yoga pants. So we're right. really uniting all the different kinds of people, geeks and mainstream. And oh, it just, I love it. I think it's just super great. There's a website down there. Go check it out, friction. You should frictionlit.org. Uh, go check it out because uh, there's also another uh, thing about the another ad about literary the literary I can't say it, literary tarot uh, on there as well. So you know, all nice ensembles, brilliantly. Right, okay, we're almost out of time. Danny, give us the punchline. Give us the one line header that would make people want to jump all over your Kickstarter, please. 
Okay, right. I've got this. I'm a marketing brain. It'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> something like an unprecedented gathering of some of the best storytellers in the world gather together to create a beautiful literary tarot set that not only will sparkle across your bookshelf, but goes to an incredible cause. Dot, dot, dot. Wow. Yeah, you're not bad at this, creating stuff, are you? <laughs> I mean, that's why they pay me almost no bucks at all, Johnny. Yeah, that's why I've got a backpack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Danny, for bringing us up to date with the Literary Tarot. I've looked at the Kickstarter. It looks gorgeous. It's such a clever idea. Some of the creators involved are massive. You have got a massive influx of um, pledges. You've still got nearly a month to go. I'd love to see where that's going. All the extra money is going to good causes. I yep, yep, yep. So you got there for, for all the educational elements we were talking about early on. Excellent, great work. So, uh, guys, don't forget to check out the UCPN for all your favorite shows, including um, the Jank Think Tank. You've got the Definitive Crusade, all about uh, DC Comics. No Prize Podcast for all your favorite Marvel heroes reborn stuff that's kicking around right now and of course my favorite the old timers comic book show where the the hosts aren't old but the comics most certainly are <laughs> all right okay danny thanks again stick around for after the trail we'll catch up uh guys it's been a blast adios